0: We are going to watch a little clip uh, reminding us of uh, something of this day and then uh, we'll go from there.
1: Empty, the eerie feeling of Easter Sunday's first dawn. The shadowy pause of Saturday's Sabbath, a space to doubt and a time to mourn. For Jesus' disciples who deserted him, they'd cast all their hopes on this Nazarene. Now their messianic dreams of forgiveness, of freedom, a future, buried by Rome's war machine. Still, at first light some journey to stalwart few women come to anoint Jesus' body at the tomb. Only to find Joseph's grave empty and Rome sentries scattered. I wonder, what might they naturally assume? A foul play, a conspiracy? But that is not this story, Easter unearthed as mischief. No an angel appeared with a creed. Jesus is risen. Now go tell the apostles, it's good time friends were brought up to speed. But who will believe them? The claims of these women? In the Gospels does their story survive? What really happened in that garden on that first Easter Sunday? Could it be? Is Jesus alive? But surely dead people stay dead, we say in our skepticism, decaying gravestones telling the story. Of countless lives once lived between the dates, now gone, only epithets to remember their glory. But that graves with no vacancy is nature's normal? That's no nail in the coffin of this miracle. No, it's entirely necessary, this backdrop of regularity, just to spot something special as God's oracle. But what's the message? Easter is revelation. God raised Jesus from the dead. Heaven's rubber stamp on his messianic claim, demoting death to a comma in the sentence of reality. For eternal life, there is no other name. Jesus is the last man standing, where all else have fallen, promising life to all who believe, igniting this hope of resurrection, of a world beyond decay, and a new body that we can receive. Death need not be permanent, our loved ones planted, not gone, a grief observed being robbed of its sting. These graves becoming gardens, seeds planted in hope, immortal beauty to burst forth like our King. But what's the evidence, you ask, that Easter's mystery is a miracle? Can all the sad things really come untrue? Is an Easter just a legend, a myth for young minds, a crutch to help us come through? No, Jesus' rising is good news, not a fantasy. It's born out in reality. There's a footprint for all to see. No other story can make sense of the data. There is a resurrection-shaped hole at the center of history. From a bloodstained cross to an empty tomb and a metamorphosis in Jewish convictions, credible witnesses claim they saw Jesus alive, willing to pay with their own afflictions. No, the case stacks up and the truth invites questioning. You are welcome to wrestle with doubt. But the transformed disciples and the birth of the church, only Christ's resurrection could ever bring about. Jesus is alive, death is conquered, and it is coming, all these graves will be gone. For into the lungs of our weary world, Jesus' resurrection breathes hope of a new creation now set to dawn.
0: So, over the last few uh, weeks, if you haven't been with us here at the Billabong, uh, we have been thinking about the themes of the good news, uh, the story that God has written into history, um, and then how our story connects to that. So, God's story and our story, uh, starting with creation. Uh, which gives us our identity because we're created out of love uh, simply because God loves us, then continuing with the fall, which resulted in our brokenness. And today we continue to think about that and think, what does the cross and the resurrection mean? And so uh, Francis is going to read uh, from John chapter 20 uh, as we continue.
2: Good morning, everyone. I am reading from John chapter 20, verses 19 to 23, from the message. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After this, he said, After this, sorry, After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again Jesus said, "'Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you.' And with that he breathed on them and said, "'Receive the Holy Spirit. "'If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven.' If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks to God. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for your word, your written word, and ask that as we reflect on it this morning, and think about the resurrection of Jesus. Lord, that our hearts would be open to hear what you would want to show us, say to us, reveal to us about your nature and what you have done for us because of your great love. So open our hearts, we pray, and soften them and uh, open our ears to hear your still small voice. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you. Amen. So on Friday, Good Friday, just gone, we asked the question, uh, why did Jesus die? And along with that, why is Good Friday called good? Shouldn't it be, I mean, considering the events, shouldn't it be like Black Friday or Dark Friday or something? Well, first of all, we see in Jesus a person Uh, A leader, a king who we can actually trust. Uh, Because he's powerful and he's able, but he's not corrupt and he's not unjust. Uh, In fact, his complete motivation is love. His complete motivation is love for you and I. Um, And when we're looking for safety and, and health and peace and security amidst the challenges of life, We can trust Jesus. If God's story is creation and for his story then is redemption of us and our story then becomes security in Christ. Redemption, God's story, security, our story, salvation. Jesus went to the cross. He was motivated by compassion. He was motivated by love to put our sin, which causes death, to death. And Jesus couldn't bear to see us separated from God. This was the result of our sin. He couldn't bear to see that. He can't bear to see the pain and the evil and the injustice in the world. Uh, and so Jesus dealt with it. He took it all to the cross and died in our place. No greater love is there than this, to lay one's life down for his friends. No greater love. However, a person could be perfectly trustworthy, perfectly loving, uh, perfectly pure in heart and and someone we can trust 110 percent when everything else and everyone else falls short you could have that kind of person and that's great until they're dead and then there's a problem right the problem is if we have a dead saviour, even if they did take all of our sin and shame to the cross, is that those sins and their impact have not been fully dealt with because death has had the final word. There's only one way to for sin and death and shame and injustice and evil to be destroyed, and that's if the one who takes them to the grave overcomes that very grave. And that's what we're here to celebrate today, that we don't have a dead saviour. He's alive. He's a saviour who, he hasn't just provided a great example. He's not just the model of selfless sacrifice and perfect love, who's just an example, a symbol, because he's now in the ground. No, no, no that's, that's not the Jesus we have. He didn't fight against sin and death only to succumb to death. He defeated Sin and evil. He's defeated death itself, and he's alive. Amen. I know there's only a few of you in the room, but amen. <laughs> this is what we celebrate here today. He's alive. He's overcome the grave. A friend of mine uh, in in Melbourne was telling me a few weeks ago the story, uh, a little story of when her and her teenage sons were out in Melbourne. They came across this group of uh, Muslim evangelists, as in uh, those who are uh, followers of Islam trying to be, do what they could to convert other people to the Muslim faith. And uh, one of her sons, my friend's sons, got in a conversation with one of them and uh, this guy was saying, well, you, you believe Jesus, you know, Jesus is a prophet of ours, but you believe Jesus died, but you also believe Jesus is God. How, you know, how, that's ridiculous. How can God die? I can he could be God if he died. And my friend's son just said, no, 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 you, you got it wrong. He defeated death. There's a difference. <laughs> yes, yes, he he died, but he went into death and overcame it. I love that, the simplicity of it. Not, it just, Jesus died is not the full picture. He overcame, he defeated death. And so as we gather to celebrate this today, I, I, I want to ask you. What is your understanding of what really happened, what really has happened in the death and the resurrection of Jesus? Do you know why the cross is empty, the tomb is empty, why Jesus had to go to the cross and then rise again, and why this is absolutely central to the good news about God's great love for humanity? Maybe you do. Do you think, though, that you could explain it to someone in simple terms, uh, if they asked you, "Well, what's what's the cross and the, and the resurrection all about?" This is my hope this morning that we would grasp the meaning. We'd really, uh, at a new level, grasp the meaning and the purpose of the cross and particularly of the resurrection. Um, as I was preparing this message, I was sitting at home. This was on Good Friday uh, a few days ago, and and uh, I was sitting. In, near the front window um, of our house in my home office. And um, this, I can sort of see out the window, the driveway, the path down the road. And uh, these, these this group of teenage girls walked by and they saw my little chalk. I have a little chalkboard sign next to my letterbox where I like, write messages on. And that good Friday morning, I had written on it a um, picture of the, the cross equals love, love heart. Um, and then underneath he died for you. And these girls, they walked past, and and one of them said to her friends, "Hey, look, Jesus, uh, uh, Jesus equals no. Yeah, yeah, cross equals Jesus equals love. He died for you. And then they giggled to each other and they sort of uh, you know, making fun of it a little bit. And then I heard one of them say, "So weird, what a freak. And I presume that was directed as me at me. I think a few of them saw me in the window. Um, <laughs> so that was awkward. Um, but it reminded me, you know what? Just the words, Jesus died for you, or Jesus rose to give you new life, those words alone probably won't cause the majority of people, uh, and maybe you put yourself in, in this camp, it probably won't cause the majority of people to go, that's great news, I want to know more. Oh, I get it, awesome, tell me more about this, th- this great love. Because for a lot of people it's it's actually just that's weird, freak. you know that's that's the attitude because maybe it's like, well, he died, so what? What' does it have to do with me? He, he rose, okay. What's, what's that have to do with me? I live my own life. So can we articulate and do we understand why the cross and the resurrection really are the best news in the world for everyone? How do you understand what has really happened in these events? I want to think about that a little bit this morning. Um, Let's say we're, we're on the same page this morning. We understand that sin is a problem, that the fall is a problem, that we've rebelled against God and brokenness is the result. That's a big assumption, I recognize, because that's maybe not the starting point for everyone, but uh, this is something we talked about uh, a week ago. Um, and let's just say for the time being, that's an essential starting point. That's where we're starting from. If that's our base level, I understand the sin is a problem. We, there is brokenness in the world because of our walking away from God. Right. Then we ask the question, well, what's happened in the death and resurrection of Jesus? Here's one way to think about the cross and resurrection. Maybe you think about it this way. Uh, one way is that God sent a representative who dies on our behalf, taking our sin to the cross, and then God raises him from the dead to overcome that sin and that death. Right? That's a great start. But if this person, this representative that God has sent, is a flawed human being like us, how can an exchange of Our brokenness and our sinfulness happen where we then receive righteousness. If this person who's like a a, a sacrificial lamb um, is also a sinful, flawed, broken person, how can there be an exchange of righteousness for our sinfulness? It doesn't work. We need someone who in their perfection can transfer to us his goodness as we transfer to him our brokenness, this great exchange It happens on the cross. So let's be clear. We need a perfect sacrifice, a spotless lamb. So it's not just a representative. Well, let's then say God sends a particular kind of representative. Let's say God sends his son. In every way, perfect, living a sinless life and reaching the cross without sin perfectly good in god's eyes and then all of the sins of the world placed upon him as perfection is transferred to those who trust in him and then god raises this son of god of this son of his from the dead overcoming the grave but then are we to still put our trust in another human being, even if it is God's son, a perfect representative who is perfectly good. And even more problematic than this issue, maybe you've heard people talk, about, or maybe you've thought this before. Did God take his wrath against sin, which bear in mind is a loving and holy anger, right? This is a God is angry with the thing that has broken and given pain to the people he loves, right? But did God then take this Anger against sin and evil, and pour it out in the form of punishment—in a form of punishment against the one he calls his son—isn't that some kind of divine child abuse? Now, hear me for a second here. If you're going, "Whoa, hang on a second, what are you saying, Luke?" I want to point out that this God sent His Son and poured out His wrath on His Son. This is not, in itself, the full picture of what has happened. God didn't just send a representative, a human being. God didn't even just send the Son of God. Here, friends, is the good news. Here is the full story. God had a family meeting. You might say, well, who do you have a family meeting with? God had a family meeting with God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. For all eternity, coexisting in perfect harmony, this is God. This is God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Three persons, one being, God, Father, Son, and Spirit. And this God created humanity out of an overflow of the loving community he shared within God's self. God saw humanity fall and grieved by sin, separating humanity uh, from, from their loving community. God grieved by this. God said, we must go and fix this because our children, the ones we love, the ones we created, are separated from us. And Father, Son, and Spirit, God, triune God, in perfect harmony, decided that the Son would become a human being. God became flesh, and God Himself, in the person of Jesus, bore the sins of humanity on Himself, and He died the death we deserve. And then, three days later, the Father and the, Spirit, the Father raised the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit, and God overcame death for humanity and overcame sin and evil and injustice. And this brought a new possibility into the created world. I'm not saying God didn't send his son. I'm not saying God didn't send a representative, but who is his son? Who He is God. God came himself. And a new possibility was brought into the world. What is this new possibility? Why did Jesus rise from the dead? Friends, he rose from the dead so he could raise dead people. He rose from the dead so he could raise dead people. Let me talk about that for a second. You with me? (laughs) Talking about the Trinity this morning sounds more like a theological lecture than an Easter sermon. I'm sorry about that. But this is so important. God, the triune God sent the Son to die and rise again for us so that in his rising from the dead he could raise dead people god came in the flesh to bring this new possibility and this new possibility was life ever is life everlasting if we turn for a second you can do it in your bible or it'll be on the screen to ephesians chapter 2 this is what paul uh, a follower of jesus uh, who wrote much of the new testament says in ephesians 2 this is what he says about sin Now, notice what he doesn't say is sin is breaking the rules. Sin is messing up a bit. It is those things, but it's more than that. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. What he's saying is the sin problem is pervasive. It's like an infection through all humanity. It's a deeply ingrained problem. It leads to brokenness. It ultimately leads to death. And he doesn't say this. He doesn't say, because of sin, you will die. He says what? You were dead. But, and here's the good news, because of his great love for us. God, who is rich in mercy, made us, everyone say it together, made us alive, sorry, the next word I meant, my bad, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Christ's resurrection has brought a distinct new possibility to us. That new possibility is life. And I know when I read this, I go, well, hang on a minute. I've always been alive. And maybe you said that, but Luke, I've always been alive. What are you talking about? No, no, no. We've got to rethink what life actually is and recognize that in our human nature along with everyone else we were dead this piece of rosemary looks kind of a, looks pretty alive right it looks like it's a plant that's alive but there's no roots it's it's dead there's nothing underneath there that's going to sustain it for very much longer it's going to wither away that's the situation we're in. There's no roots. There's nothing connecting to a life source that's giving, us and making a, that's giving us life and making us alive. Dane Ortland, in his incredible book, Gentle and Lowly, highly recommend everybody reads this. It's about the heart of Christ for sinners and sufferers. He says this, this is what Dane Ortland says, Christ was not sent to mend wounded people or wake sleepy people, or advise confused people, or inspire bored people, or spur on lazy people, or educate ignorant people, but to raise dead people. To raise dead people. And dead doesn't mean some metaphor kind of picture of does doing bad things or not quite feeling like you should or breaking the rules or something like that. Dead means without life. Dead. How do we think about what life actually is? Orland goes on to say, we can be immoral dead people or we can be moral dead people. Either way, we're dead. <laughs> and if you're a Christian, this is your story. You were dead, now you're alive. Not, I used to be bad, now I'm good. Or I used to be depressed, now I'm full of joy. Or I used to be a slave to something, now I'm free. All of those things may be true. But the truest truth is this, I was dead, now I'm alive. I was dead, now I'm alive. And there's three things we see Jesus speak over his disciples when he meets with them in his resurrected body. Three things that are distinctive marks of life, not death. And we read this in our passage this morning. John chapter twenty that Francis read, uh, we, we, we read that Jesus says, peace be with you. Anyone remember what else? What else does he say? If you forgive others, their sins will be forgiven. And he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Peace, forgiveness, and the Holy Spirit. What are these things, what, what do they mean? What are these things that he offers? Peace is another way of saying wholeness. Shalom in the Hebrew, Irene in the Greek. Think about a brick wall that's got bricks missing. Pieces like the bricks are back in place. Wholeness, the broken pieces put back together. Uh, you you remember, might remember last Sunday we talked about brokenness being our story because of the fall. Our relationship with God, our relationships with each other, uh, even our relationship with the earth. Broken because of sin, because of the fall. Peace or shalom is a putting back together of broken pieces, reversing the brokenness. It's wholeness. Peace is a restoring of that which is not how it should be. And this is one element of the new possibility Jesus has brought to us through the resurrection. Brokenness, which is a sign of death, being reversed. Peace, wholeness. This is part of life. Secondly, forgiveness. What's forgiveness? It's literally a, a removing of sin. If we go next slide. Sin keeps trying to, treat, to, 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 to creep back in our lives and we go, go away, <laughs> right? Go away, sin. We get hurt. We hurt others. Sin most significantly creeps into our relationships in bitterness and unforgiveness and, and, and malice and, and, and holding grudges. And forgiveness is something we have now as a gift to stop sin, which brings death creeping back in. It says, not having that, thanks very much. Go away. I don't want death. I want life. And because we've been forgiven so much by Jesus, we can now forgive others. And I know sometimes forgiveness you, you might think about it as this kind of painful, difficult mandate. Oh my goodness, I've got to forgive. Oh otherwise I'm not quite like I'm not like Jesus. I gotta forgive oh, this is difficult. No, try to reshape your thinking to no, this is a gift. A gift from Jesus, because you've been forgiven so much, and as you grasp that, you can freely forgive others and not allow any kind of sin to come in again and infect our relationships. By doing so, by forgiving, sin stays away. You experience life, and so this too is one element of uh, one one part of life Jesus brings to us through His resurrection. But finally. He breathes and he gives the Holy Spirit. So peace is a a restoration of the brokenness, reversing sin's effects. Forgiveness is keeping sin away, not letting it creep back in. But the Holy Spirit, well, this is a game changer. Jesus breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit you imagine for a second that you're Peter or James or John, one of the disciples, um, maybe one of the women at this point in time, right? You're a Jew. You, you've grown up with a Jewish education, a Jewish background. You know the stories, you know the Hebrew scriptures. You're like, yep, cool. You know, you, you, you remember and understand Genesis chapter one and two when it all began. And Jesus is there and he comes and he breathes and says, "Receive the Holy Spirit and your mind goes back to Genesis chapter one and two where God created the heavens and the earth and he created the land and the sky and the, the animals and the fish and the birds and uh, and the plants and everything and then and then he, he, he found dust and he formed it into a body uh, and this this first human being would eventually, from from him would come Eve and they would procreate and then generations later, there you are. This is the beginning of your story, right? The first human beings, beginning with the Adam, the first man. But at this point in time, at the beginning of the story, he's just flesh and bones until God does something. What does God do? He breathes life into the man. And there's Jesus. And he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. It's a restart. It's a new beginning. It's a fresh opportunity to do human life differently, to do it better, to not end up with the same broken story that follows from Adam. But it's different. This is not just God breathes life into the man and the man becomes alive. God didn't, and Jesus didn't in this moment, just breathe life into them. God breathes God into them. His spirit breathed into them. And so now there's a new kind of life, a life that can't become death through a single choice to distrust and turn from God. A life that's connected to God in a way like never before. The life giver himself is now dwelling within. This is the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this is a new possibility Jesus brought about through his resurrection. Life with God, breathed into us by God in a whole new profound way. Peace, wholeness. Restoring of the brokenness. Forgiveness, sin, you have no place to bring death back into my life. And the Holy Spirit, the life giver dwelling within, forever connected to our spirit. So when you think, friends, about the cross and the resurrection uh, this Easter weekend, do you see this? The defeat of sin, death, evil, injustice achieved by Jesus, our God, achieved by our God for us, and then on the other side, the opportunity for wholeness, restored relationships and life in all its fullness, deeply and eternally connected to the life-giver himself. This is the good news. And may this be the message we carry with us into every sphere of our life. May this be the good news that is on our lips and in our heart and on our minds, uh, in every relationship. Um, my goal today, though, is not has not been really just to 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 try and unpack the gospel to help you to be able to articulate it perfectly in every context, in every relationship, because that's a lifelong lesson and journey, right? We keep learning how to do this, uh, to be those who create a ripple effect with our lives as we speak the good news. But my hope today is just that there's been something of the beauty beauty of the gospel that you have heard, something of the beauty of the gospel that's not just a a bit of the gospel, which in fact is not the the whole truth and the whole picture, but the full picture of what God has done for us out of his great love for us. Because when we capture and when we receive something of the beauty of the good news and the beauty of his love, uh, it elicits a response. It evokes a response in us. And that response, my hope, my my hope is that that response in you and I this morning is a response of love, a response of love towards Jesus, a response of worship and gratitude for what he's done for us, and that you would find some way this morning, the rest of this weekend, to respond in love towards Jesus. Let me just finish by telling you um, about when this first happened for me, I mentioned it the other week, briefly in passing, uh, when I first grasped the gospel, the good news of Jesus, I, I wasn't sitting in a lecture. I wasn't even sitting in church or even hearing somebody speak. I didn't understand atonement theory. I didn't understand the ontological and eschatological impacts of what Jesus has done on the cross. I didn't understand exactly what's happening on the cross and in the tomb and the, stuff I've, the sort of stuff I've unpacked today. I didn't get any of that. I wasn't even listening to someone preach. I was singing a song with some other teenagers at a youth camp. And as I sang the words of a particular song, the simple reality of what Jesus had done for me evoked a response of love for him. And at this moment I received peace. I experienced that, that wholeness that comes Uh from the peace only God gives, I I, I understood and grasped his forgiveness and I, I think at that moment I really received the Holy Spirit. And what happened was I was singing these words and they went like this. How can it be that you were the one on the cross, lifted for all our shame? How can it be that the scars in your hands are for me? You are the king of all. And then the chorus goes, I love you more than life. And it was just singing that over and over. I love you more than life, evoking a response of love towards my Savior. And so, friends, as the music team come up now, um, whatever way you need to respond this morning to the good news, to the great love of God in Jesus encourage you to to do that, whether that's to write God a love letter today, whether it's just to sing with all your heart as we sing this song we're going to sing now, Jesus, I love you, whether it's to um, commit yourself to, to, to prayer and just to be in God's love more, whether it's to tell someone, whatever the case may be. How can you respond to the good news in love towards your saviour this morning father i thank you for this sunday this resurrection sunday and the reminder of what you have done for us on the cross and by raising by being raised to life may we respond to you lord jesus with a heartfelt expression of devotion and gratitude and love because you first loved us